You're listening to the MC Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture, coming to you from the campus of Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. Well, I mean... We're Nutella and butter with chocolate Who doesn't love Nutella, though? I love Nutella. I had Nutella for breakfast. It was good. Also... It made me happy. Uh, I do know that they make fancy sodas with stevia. Um, with stevia. How in the world much do those cost? No, they're good. So Coke Life. It's made with stevia. Coke what? Life. It's Coke Life. It's in it's the in green, green cans. I got onto it. It's a little it. bit of sugar and a little bit of stevia. It's more stevia because that's the thing. It cuts the calories down a lot. I got onto it when I was in France because I've I was never at, heard of this product. I was at well, it's bigger, I guess, in Europe because like when I was there, I was in the grocery store and they was like green Coke cans. This is crazy, and so I was looking at it and Those I bought it. Europeans. I bought it and like I really liked it. Not because it really tasted like Coke. Now it did it have a little, a little bit of sugar. In it. I it had that little aftertaste that stevia does tend to do, but it was really good. And it was nowhere near the calories of normal Coke. So I just started buying that. And then when I got back here, the, what's it called? The Kroger, it sells it. If Kroger would like to contact the Office of Giving uh, at Mississippi College. And give us Coca-Cola Coke Life. <laughs> would like to contact the Office of Giving at Mississippi You can contact us at vocalfry at mc.edu. Coke, if you're looking Local for someone F-R-I. to represent your Coke Life, I'm here for you. I love it. I feel like it is highly... Like, underrated by people. Okay, now, at the risk of ruining Michael's life... I already... Michael, wa- I already finished you finished it? Finished it last oh, night. this oh is why gosh. you're a baritone I today. Supposed, yeah, Are I was you supposed dead to be, inside? I was supposed to uh, do German homework last night. Nope. Um, then the teacher sent out an email that said, I made an error. Does anybody need an extension because of my error? And I was like, sure, I need an extension. Stranger Things. So I can watch Stranger Things. <laughs> okay, so... For all of us in our time machine still, as we're still a number of weeks behind you listeners, we have all, this week, all three of us, finished the entire season of Stranger Things. And before we get into Stranger Things, because I want to be able to spend some time on that, I just want to say something. Yes, go ahead. (laughs) That's our... I didn't like that. (laughs) Sorry about that. That's our new sound effect. That's my belt. My my my. That's up my. I want the bell back. <laughs> that's my uh, respiratory system larynx model of a bellows and a duck call. I just want you to know I'm gonna yell every time someone does. Like I can see you going to do it, and I'm still gonna jump and yell. I like it. Um. Anyway, what was I going to say? Oh yes, right. No. So before we get into Stranger Things itself. I was listening to uh, an interview with the Duffer Brothers, and they were talking about... Because you know that Netflix does not release its own viewing data. Interesting. I did not know that. And they don't even... They don't even tell their showrunners. So, like... But people the, have got to be able to guess which one's So, popular. well, okay. So, the Duffer Brothers said that when the first season came out, the only way they had any idea at all was through social media. Was through the social media response on Facebook and Twitter and and, and what have you. And then obviously, I mean, by the time Halloween rolled around, half of America was dressed dressed as 11. Um, Clear sign. But... But but today, for the first time ever, I, I saw 
that apparently Nielsen, you know, the ratings people, okay. have come up with some kind of way. I don't know if it's like an algorithm of some kind. I'm assuming it is. But they are actually now, according to them, able to track streaming data. Oh, it's, they, they just have, they have a box connected to, the t uh, to someone's home TV uh, or, or uh, even to their computer. Um, so a friend of mine, do you know that Nielsen sends those boxes out to people? Do you know about no. those? No. Okay, so That's a friend terrifying. of mine, no, so, no it's, it's fine. A friend of mine, um, they, they got a... a Is this thing. a thing where, like, you know a guy? No. Okay. <laughs> a friend of mine, somehow, um, his family was, was contacted by Nielsen as a, like, model TV watching family, like, quintessential TV watching family, because mm. they just, and so... Because they had X amount How of kids and this thing, that thing. It's just demographics, okay. right? And so then from that... So Nielsen, my family's about to be contacted by Nielsen? Absolutely. Nielsen, <laughs> if you would like to contact the no! of Mississippi College, don't. Um, anyways, this is what they do. They send a box, all right? Um, they send a box to the house, and then they get... these. This family gets, like... I think they get, like, a choice of, like, Walmart or Amazon gift cards every six months or something. It's, like, a good amount of money. But basically all they have to do... When they watch a TV, there's a separate remote that has numbered one through six, and I, you know, each family member has a number, and then the other two are guests on the on the on the on the remote, and they just click and they say, "This is, say I'm currently watching TV," and so they have their data, and so it's like, they, so it's like, oh, Drew, the son, the 18 year old, it's like 18 year old son watches horror movies late into the middle of the night, Dad watches this, Mom watches this. And so they get specific data, and so it would be really easy, at least, to say, like, for them, for them to like, be able to, because <clears throat> you know, PlayStations and stuff, all of those, they stream now. Right. You know, yes, everything say, does. Right. So to say, like, like, oh, I'm clicking this because I'm watching streaming TV right now, and so. Well, anyway, they claim to have come up with a way that they are tracking streaming data, yes, and, and so, according to them. <laughs> 361,000 people streamed the entire season of Stranger Things in one day last weekend. Yeah. Yep. In addition to that, <laughs> in, a, in addition to that, 15.4 million Americans have at least watched the first two episodes of the second season. Which is pretty fantastic. That's like fantastic. yeah. That's yeah. like that's like at Lost or Breaking Bad levels. That's because it's extraordinary. So, I, I I would also like to say that I was a little bit caught off guard. I assumed that the Duffer Brothers were my age. They're actually quite a few years younger than me. Right. They're actually sort of halfway they're, between our right, ages. They're like thirty. They're like thirty. Well, and can't you just smell it on their art? They smell like thirty. Well, they are thirty or something like right around there. And They're like more dystopian than me. So or like Sarah, they were barely they even alive during yet. the. Well, that's the thing is that I assumed they were my age because I like I'm, I remember 80s. living this stuff, you know. As yeah, as a child, and so I was a little bit taken aback by the, it. Yeah. Um, although I, I, I mean, at the same time, I obviously know people who are younger than me who the show speaks to. And honestly, I love weird '80s crap a lot more than I like. Well, 90s it's crap. very in vogue right now. '90s crap has like bat has like high waisted jeans, and I just don't know who thought that was a good idea. Has high waisted jeans are great. Oh, high waisted. High waisted jeans. I thought you said high weighed. High weighed jeans. I was no. like, what is a high weighed jean? No. 
Okay, so the trick with high-waisted jeans, if you're a girl, is they keep everything in. It's like Spanx. No, but they're but still not a good jeans. look. Oh, no, it can be. You have to be the right person. You gotta have the right jeans, but it works. You have to be a mom. No, okay, I think y'all are thinking of the wrong kind of high-waisted no, jeans. No, I think we are. In the 90s, this is the high-waisted jeans I'm speaking Maybe about. I'm thinking, like, really retro ones, but, but they're magical. In the 80s... I love all these random 80s references, and it's great. Okay, so now let's, let's, let's get into it, since we all have finished the season. Let me start here at the end. I was disappointed with the finale. And, l- and let me say why. The only reason I was disappointed with the finale... First of all, I thought the season was great. I thought it was spectacular. I thought it was just some of the best writing. I thought it was the best writing that I've watched since Breaking Bad. Okay, for me, I thought it was the best writing since that final season of Breaking Bad that I've seen as a television show. Um, now I say that I have not watched The Handmaid's Tale, which apparently is spectacular, and I have full confession no, I've not watched. I it. hated that book, and so I haven't been able to like watch the show. Okay. Anyway, um, but starting at the end, I felt like it was the same gag twice. I felt like it was, okay, now here's Eleven, and all the people are doing their own little mission, and Eleven's going to kill the thing. It just felt a little bit like we're doing the same thing again to end the season. Yeah. I would have preferred something having gone horribly wrong. Or them having to have to put actual, more thought into what happened. That was my thing. Is I was like, I feel like there should have been more planning or like, just an, a strategy behind what they did because their actual strategy was A, stupid. B, like, it wasn't a strategy. I don't know. I feel like they should have figured out, like, how do we kill this thing? Because they left it alive. It's still there. I but mean, I get I, that would have left you without a plot for the next season. But I think that that... But we could have worked something I think out. that that's part of the nature of this show. Um, they left it alive. It's the same thing as this, like, like normal dude, normal Bob... Um, sits there and goes, you know what? When something's scary, you just stand up to it and say, go away. But this show clearly is, but like for normal, I mean, that's like something, it's like a normal dad saying, you know? But it's like in the face of this giant swirling monster, you know? (laughs) It's like, but for real, it like doesn't work. And so it's like, it doesn't. And and so I think in the same, I think it's partly they're just building up like, it's, it's a concept here of like how big and bad and hopeless evil hopeless bad stuff is and well so moving forward they said they did say in the nerdist interview that they know where they want to end the show right which is great because that's often when showrunners lose shows is when they're like about at this point at the end of like a second season and and they don't know where the end is well and this is the other thing i'll say about this season it was very clear at the end of the first season that they were like, we don't even know if we'll get a second season, so we need to make this very self-contained. Correct. This one, very clearly, whether from... Was a was a intermezzo. Right. It's very clearly like, we plan to have at least another season. Right. It was you an know? intermezzo, yes, I, clearly. I, well, there were so many setups. You were the one who brought up the water. I mean... Yeah. Well, okay, so... Which thing? The water... I kind of thought that the way they might the lakes like, and the rivers, the, lake, the whole like, town is surrounded by oh, water. Yeah. It goes around all the water and stuff, yeah. and like so. My theory, Jamie's theory too, was that like maybe the way they would defeat it or send it back or whatever would be to flood the tunnels, which makes a lot of sense. What if cool. fire and water are both things that can injure it, and also like when Will's possessed, 
he yes he says he doesn't want to go in the water because of the heat but he also just like avoids won't the go water. in the water period yeah like he drains it which makes me think like maybe it doesn't like water so i thought maybe that was going to be something they did with it and maybe it could be something they do with it in the future i don't know it does seem like an obvious solution okay. to me I, but that just, could just be a red herring i don't I mean, know well this could be another one I will admit they released the Stranger Things app before the show, like a game you could play, like a whole video game. I played all the way through, and it gave you all of these little kind of like spoiler hinty things about this season. Like the Hydro is in it, the pumpkins were in it. Another thing that I noticed was anytime you clicked on a map in the game, it would be like, huh, that's weird, can't find Hawkins on the map. And I'm like, is that a thing? Does Hawkins not exist? Why can't they find Hawkins on the map? So it's like like that town in Once Upon a Time or something? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Like, I'm wondering, like, is that a real thing? Is that something I need to, like, be aware of? But they clearly of? left the town. So, right. I mean, I, I, it was did. interesting to me because if I'm correct, and, and please feel free to correct me on this, and in fact, I would love it if you do, so that our listeners don't. <laughs> in the finale, the reference to Indiana is the first time we've known the state. Wrong. I think they've, we knew it before. They've gone, they've gone multiple times. Um, even even earlier on when they drive away, um, it says uh, they uh, there's stuff about Indiana. I know I've seen it elsewhere. Really, I really believe yeah, because sure I happens. thought that when in the in the first episode of this season when Pittsburgh popped up, I thought that was the first specific geographic reference in the show. I thought it. I thought that they. Said I thought they went the entire first like season without a specific reference to where Hawkins was, other than generic Midwest esque town. We'll have to look this up. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that it, they said Hawkins, Indiana. At some point. Uh, there's no point in trying. Don't take. We, we will. We will. Okay, we that's will something research. that we need to investigate a little yes. bit further. We're, we apologize. We clearly didn't do our podcast homework on that issue. Okay, but let's talk about good stuff because yes, I'll say good that. stuff. So, I think that What did you love the whole idea that you bring in an a, 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 a actor like Sean Astin who was such a big deal in the 80s? Goonies. Like it, because this show is sort of Goonies meets ET. I'm gonna be real, you have to say meets, who Sean Austin played. Meets Alien. Bob. Oh, okay. Meets the whole Aliens franchise, meets like the poltergeist. Right. I would like to say this. I loved the idea of a very scientific demonic possession because that, that just intrigued me that they were like, they were like, this kid's totally possessed. So we, I just thought it was brilliant. They're like, this kid's totally possessed so we can touch all the crazy horror film stuff and the p- possession stuff, but also it's science you know (laughs) and it's like i just thought that was very modern and like an unusual take on a classic idea of like of like this kid's possessed and he's shaking and he's screaming and there's a swirling vortex but it's but we're but we're calling it a virus okay so i thought that was brilliant i I liked that as well interesting thing Did, did anybody not think that it is possible that still that that the shadow monster is 11 it's still possible. Because Papa because said to her, he said to her, you have a tear. Oh, see, I hadn't thought of that. We I, still- I still feel like it's that- possible that the end of this is that Eleven has to die. We started thinking that Will was Because the even this, even this idea, they're like, they're like, this monster, even the idea about the virus and the hosts and all of that, you know, that... Um, that it hurts the host too, and that the host must die. You know, the host will die. This idea, you know, they they even 
if that's the case, they've already set that up nicely with the stuff that they did with will and possession and all that stuff. Or is is okay. So what did we think about eight? The inclusion of eight. I think for like this, this is a horrible moral thing, I guess. But like. She's probably going to turn evil. Like, the way those types of characters tend to work is they start out good, and then, like she's doing, she's like going as an down... Like archetype? Yeah. She starts going down this path where, like, all these things have happened bad to her, and so her thing is, in order to... She's like Magneto, basically. She uh, is essentially mm-hmm. Magneto. See, I think she and so there's something good. where she's going to end up posed against... Like, they've already set it up where, like... Or yeah. in 80s fashion, is she Luke Skywalker? Well, like, mm. she lets Eleven go this time. <laughs> Anakin Skywalker. But I really think she's gonna turn out good. Because I... I'll well, that's yeah, my thing is, do they similar. need 8 and 11's powers together to defeat I, the Shadow Monster? I think... Because here's the thing. The reason I think she's gonna turn out good is because uh, this show is, like, so... Despite being so... Like, how do I put this... I hate some modern TV shows because every time you get a character you like, all right, they decide to turn them evil, okay? <laughs> and I hate that because I'm so hopeful and optimistic. And so you I can basically thank Tony Soprano and Walter White for that. This show has been so nice because like I mean like not saying anybody's perfect and I love that they're not perfect and they're very flawed and you know Jim Hopper uh, is like screaming and being kind of abusive chain smoking um, right chain smoking how do you deal with the sidekick preteen exactly at the same time right there's like, right. you're yelling like, your normal kid this kid could kill you it's like obvious that they're good care you know like they're you know these people are heroes you know these kids they've banded together and they're unabashedly good even if dustin was a total jerk the whole season <laughs> I well, love Dustin. Dustin. He's a sweaty weirdo, but I really like him. I, I love him. But he kept, like that, him he kept that dang lizard. That he didn't know it was going to be evil. Yeah. Let me say this too, and, and let me say this for the podcast record, so that 20 years from now or 10 years from now we can look back and say, man, Perna, you're an idiot. Or, man, Perna, you were right. I think that Millie D. Bobby Brown gonna is going to win, like, actress. five Oscars for Best Actor in a Drama. She's extraordinary. Holy cow, what a talented young person. Look, what an unusual character Some of the play. scenes with her face work mm-hmm. w- were out of this world. Well, and to say, and to put her on a dark wet soundstage and do all the weird crap that she has to do and it's engaging and it's not even about the effects it's about her the whole time right you know because because if she was a lesser actress they would make that about the flashy effects and the water yeah. and the the stuff but it's never you're always like what is it it's about her it's so her much about choices. her face yeah uh-huh. i mean it's really remarkable do y'all really think it's remarkable. weird that the ground is still wet even though she's no longer doing that from uh the tank the, the tank, tank. Cause that that I, seems. I considered that a yeah. little bit, a little bit. That was just an interesting. But that's why I wondered if where the tank was in the lab is still where the shadow monster is. Huh. Yeah, like where that's kind of manifested because that's where. Or she... even what if she's always been in the tank, and there's the shadow monster, and then there's this manifestation of eleven that runs around in the world as well. Right. I don't know. Because we're now she's, we're, you know, that's we're might be too much. I don't I, think she's gonna have three bodies. Like at that point, we're saying she has three manifestations of herself. She is human. 
Probably. Anyway, um, yeah. that's probably enough about this. Um, we we we've caught we've caught the new Last Jedi trailer, the, the yes, thirty I second spot or fifty second spot. It's like a sixty so second spot. Good. Basically, Luke walks onto the. F- okay, so here's the here's the thing. Okay, here's the here's where it changed the previous trailer. Just to update you. What, and, and again, by the time this gets out, we'll have already actually seen Last Jedi. I'm so ready! Um, but, uh, as in we're going to see Thor probably, you know, tomorrow. So, yep. Which, of course, was weeks they ago to you people. They finally released the, like, showings on Malco's website, in case you were curious. Yes, no, I saw them. Okay. Um, but anyway, Luke, at the beginning of the trailer, Luke walks onto the Falcon and powers up the Falcon himself. Like, da Appear, apparently by force strength. But, like, did you hear the music? Mm. Well, Did you hear the music? Here's the interesting thing. That's an important reference going back to the original trilogy because Han Solo said, you know, I'm not letting some nerf herder run my ship or whatever he said to him um, in the original movie. Right. Uh, uh. And, and, but here's the thing. Does that mean that in that battle, after Rey's training... The Knights of Ren and Kylo Ren will defeat Luke, leave him, take Rey, and so Luke's only way off the planet is to pilot the Falcon himself. Even more so, does that mean that in all the scenes where we've seen the Falcon being chased and pursued by that Luke is actually flying the Falcon? Maybe. Maybe. Rather than it actually being Rey... Are we actually going to see Skywalker pilot a plane again? I like that her lightsaber is white. Makes me happy. It's white. It's white. Yeah, it's white. Yeah. Which also meant that she's like a great Jedi. That well, here's what that. But here's what that information means to me. Also, it means that somehow there was a kyber crystal on that planet. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Because for her to have forged a new lightsaber means that there had to have been kyber on that planet. But I could also imagine. Wait, wasn't the necklace a crystal? Holding on. Holding on to extra kyber crystals. Oh wait, no, that was Rogue One. No, that you're thinking of Rogue One. I'm thinking of Rogue One. My mind went there. Yeah, not not Jyn or so. She's wearing a kyber crystal. I know. What that a, movie's so what a, sad. What a great Probably movie. a kyber crystal big enough to power a lightsaber. I know, that's what I'm thinking. Well, like, what if it's the same one? Don't what know. a great movie that it could have been so much more. How could it have... Rogue oh, One? Rogue Uno. I'm going to be real. There's a part of me... <laughs> Rogue Uno! Even though that movie, like, killed Bandito. me. And, like, I can't watch it again. Like, I've never watched it again since the one time I watched it because it killed me so thoroughly. Okay. There's a part of me that appreciates that they went all the way. Like, they right, yeah. No, I, I like, tend no. to agree with they that. They did it. I tend they to agree with that. They killed them all. It's horrible, I'm but, like, they did that. that's what would have happened. Okay, so, so today's topic... Because I wanted to get to actual okay. singing music, and science. music and science and whatever. And now, we can't, because now we're all members of the forum, so we can't technically discuss other comments that were made in the forum. Mm-hmm. But this week on one of our professional voice teaching forums, <laughs> I had put a question, at, actually inspired by um, one of the graduate classes that I taught on Monday. The question was, in, in a sense, 
in a pedagogy class. So let's be very clear. We're not talking about private lessons so yep. that we can keep our conversation. We don't care what you're doing. In your we don't studio. care what you're doing in your studio. That's great. We support whatever, at, at that point, whatever well, autonomous things. We don't things. support some of the things. But well, but, but you but have a nice life. You have the right to do whatever you wish to do in your studio with your students. But we're talking about if you were ever assigned to teach a pedagogy class at a university, albeit... A pedagogy class just for music ed majors, an open just survey of vocal pedagogy for undergraduates, a more in-depth for performance majors, a more in-depth course for graduate students, whatever. The question was, even in a course like my graduate voice acoustics class, the question posed was, how much science is too much science? Because here's the, 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 the thing is, I think it's important to recognize as, as acoustics become more and more common in our lingo, and as, because by the time you guys are my age, psychoacoustics will be well into our lingo at that point. So as acoustics and psychoacoustics become more common stream thoughts and behaviors. Will you give us the definition of psychoacoustics for all the normies listening to this podcast? So how the ear and the brain, how the brain is perceiving what the ear is hearing. So the acoustics would actually be what is happening in the vocal tract itself in this case, because we're talking about singing. And the psychoacoustics would be rather what we're perceiving in the sound, or our ears perceiving in the sound spectrum, and then our brain is processing as noise. So like Ian Howell, absolute tone color. Correct. Psychoacoustics, because here's what's happening. But ASTC as it's now being labeled, absolute spectral tone color. Why do we have to have acronyms for everything? That is literally not any faster to say. Absolute spectral tone color. Because then we have to explain what ASTC is. That's stupid. Here's what I will say about that. In academic writing, it can be very helpful because then you don't have to keep writing it out over and over again. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. But Um, like in like average talking. Anyways. Anyways, so to go, so the question I posed was, I, I think it's important that as we get more and more into that kind of of uh, information, and as 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 as, and I'll just cite these two guys because I think their work is so important. But as Ken Bozeman's writing, and then Ian Howell's work now as well, as it has become, as it becomes more common stream. And, de- and because their writing is, particularly Ken's writing, is so digestible for a broad audience. Um, as it becomes more and more part of our lexicon, normal lexicon, you know, like let's let's not forget that, you know, 30 years ago, formant was like an unknown word. Mm-hmm. Okay? 20 years ago, it was a very poorly defined word. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago, it was a word that we were still just trying to make applicable I think truly applicable that the number of people for whom that term was truly applicable was very low Hmm. anyway very sort of bourgeoisie elite pedagogy people had applicableness to it but as it becomes all more and more common and therefore required to talk about in pedagogy classes more and more The question I posed was, how much science is too much science? Because I think it's also important for us to understand, we are not physicists. 
we are not engineers. You know, so for ex- so for example, when I give talks, uh, not necessarily at like Voice Foundation. You know, if I give a talk at Voice Foundation, I you just give the talk. But but I mean, like if I'm invited to a university to give a lecture, one of the first things I usually say is, "I am not a scientist." And I say that because I am not a PhD in physics. I'm not a PhD with an engineering in voice, you know, and of any kind. Um, I, I, yes, I have a doctoral degree, but it's in music. And my primary function is as a voice teacher. Um, even though we do research, my primary function is not as a scientist. And... And in any of our training programs, at the master's or doctoral level, at least where it comes to a master of music and a doctor of musical arts, now, uh, uh, again, there are a few PhD programs out there in voice. I, I think they're a little bit, some of them are, they're, they're a little bit different um, because they are truly research-based degrees. Um, uh, there's a program at NYU that's a little bit different that really is sort of more training some science, more science-heavy stuff. Um, the people who got their PhDs at Kansas, um, a lot of research methods in, in that degree. But but I, 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 as I'm thinking of just you know the people I'm training and anyone who I'm training with a master's of music or a doctor of musical arts, I'm thinking of those two degree plans. And then obviously undergraduates as well, bachelor of music people or Bachelor of Arts in Music, in, as some cases might be. I, I got to thinking how much science is too much science. And, and I, I, will, I, I do remember Scott saying this, Scott McCoy saying this a number of times, um, as someone had commented, but the idea that a singer doesn't need to know any science. Yeah. But the voice teacher could use to know a good bit uh, to help them teach better. And I just wanted to open up that discussion for us a little bit this morning because neither of you commented on the forum, so... Nope. You no, know. I was not stepping into that rat trap. As a general rule, I, I don't comment Well, on see, the that's, forum. Just good, that's just good social media behavior. Your oh, professor I, has I taught com- you well. I comment on stuff, but I'm very careful. I know, because Facebook, for well whatever done. reason, every time you comment, Facebook's like... Michael Ham commented on a post on professional voice teachers forum, and I'm like, oh, click. I usually start my comments with, I'm young, I'm an idiot, I don't know anything. No, also, you... here's my facts. Well, but see, I I, <laughs> I I know that I I know that I'm not an idiot or don't know anything, but to to posture modestly, here I am. Now let me tell you the truth. Anyways, but you've done well responsibly to not say anything ridiculous. But, but, but I mean, okay, but let me just pose it to you all from a different perspective as students. Mm-hmm. And, and you, Michael, sort of give me often the, the joke of science, science, when science. I start talking sometimes, it just becomes science, 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 and that's all you hear. <clears throat> so let's, po- uh, rather than posing it to Sarah, who maybe even has a I slight... M- right, okay. Sarah was upset that you took out quarter wave... I really liked that. I didn't take it out. That was part of the post. I said, do we really need to fully comprehend different wavelength resonators? Maybe you don't need to, but I want to. <clears throat> so I think, I think the question is this. is like, I think the real question is, 
how much science is necessary for a teacher to teach well? That is like the that's really the question here. But I mean, if you if you sort of go on my model that we've been teaching well for four hundred years right. without all of this, without all of this, right? But at the same time, the more you know, and I think part of it yes, is like as the body of right. knowledge surrounding this kind of grows, the more maybe you need to know about it. Like it's like you said. 20, 30 years ago, we barely knew what four minutes were. If you don't know what something is, like, don't try to... Well, the interesting thing, of course, about that is that in the, in the, in the scientific community, even as it related to music, Helmholtz is, what is, 100 years ago? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so it's not like... And Helmholtz was even identifying something similar to Singer's Formant Cluster. Mm-hmm. And so... It just, it wasn't until 1972 that Johann Sundberg called it that. Yeah. But, like, the more we have a working knowledge of that, then, yeah, like, that's a good thing to know. Like, if you can explain it in terms that students, like, undergrad students who don't necessarily want to know the science, 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 because I think the majority of undergrad students are singers. They're, like, and, and they're I mean, singers, not teachers. Selfishly. They're thinking, I want to sing better then, like, if you can teach it to them in that sense, I think it's important. Like, I think they need to know it. But then, like, maybe you wait and you see, like, which students want to take it further. Like, obviously, if a student wants to know more, they're probably going to end up getting a master's. And then at that point, they can nerd out and you can know more. I don't know. <clears throat> that's my thing. It's, like, it's kind of like when you're in school. Like, as you go up more levels, you, you exhibit an interest in knowing more in-depth knowledge and perhaps it's more appropriate based on what you're going to do. I don't know. So in other words, so in other words, which was interesting, like one of the first comments sort of reflected an an idea of well, what level are we talking about? Mm -hmm. So you're saying that audience matters. A hundred percent. To the the response of the question, how much science is too much science, audience matters. If you blow away an undergrad class who doesn't even know what a format is by trying to talk about quarter length, quarter wavelength resonators, they're just going to be like, but, but what? what about and they won't understand anything. They'll shut down. What about 25 years from now? Because the reason right now is <clears throat> that those students never knew about, uh, like, don't know the word format is because they were taught by teachers who didn't know about the word format. So that's what I'm so saying. So 25 years from now, when their teachers are dead... Um, and there's new people in their team. Well, or retired. Okay, Let's that not. might be nicer. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like that. 25 years doesn't seem as long to me anymore. But you know what I'm saying? Like, when that, when suddenly new, but like, when, look at the last 25 years, and now 25 years from now, you know, and this information becomes, in, and you're a, you're a great, you know, you're a great, gray head, you know, uh, and people listen to I you. have no hair. Okay, uh, well, you'll be a bald head. I'll um, be a gray beard. Be a gray there you beard. Go. With, uh, you know, Isn't that a kind of wizard? Yes, that yeah. more people will listen to uh, because you're a wizard. Uh, <clears throat> you can be Gandalf the it's Gray. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right now, you sound, right now, like, I'd say a lot of the people who are talking science, 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 um, as someone said, are young, you know? Like, they're on the young, or at least it's presented as new or younger. You know what I mean? And so my hope is that somewhere down the road, as this stuff gets more widely accepted, I think it, I think that people will be more familiar with it just simply because their teachers are already talking about it. That's what know? I'm saying. Like, I think it, it's a, like... Like, all of your students, pretty much, by the end, they're going to know, basically, sort of, kind of, some kind of... Enough that if they went into a class and heard someone use the word formant, 
they were not going to be scared, you know? Their other I team. don't know that all my voice students would feel that way right now. Really? You would, but you've also had classes with me. Because, you know, I'm thinking of, like, some of my undergraduates now. In fact, I'm thinking about most of my undergraduates now, and I honestly don't know that that's the case. Of my private voice students I'm talking about, not my class students. But... Well, but you're saying we're talking about a pedagogy class, not about voice learning. Yes, admittedly. And most of those students probably will take a pedagogy class with you. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, I think it's almost like a generational thing. Like, 20 years ago, we don't have a great idea of what formants are. But now, formants are becoming a more commonly used concept, term, whatever. And so you're teaching it to these pedagogy students. And so maybe 20 years from now, formants will be something that people are hearing in their lessons and understanding in their lessons. And so then we have a new thing that we're kind of introducing at the undergrad level and that will slowly disperse <coughs> its way. Like we'll Laryngeal this, manipulation. And then we'll have that a, or anything. Like, I think it we'll just takes time. Then we'll have widespread misunderstanding as to what formant means. You know, there's a phrase that I've been using lately uh, that's, there's nothing more dangerous than a dabbler. Someone who knows a tiny bit of something and then takes it and takes it for a joyride in all kinds of places it was never supposed to go. And I just kind of want to bring that concept into this conversation <clears throat> because on the one hand, we're not physicists, but also, like, I, like, I'm thankful that, well, I'll say this, like, over the last year sitting there going, oh, crap, I really knew nothing. Even after, like, I felt like I knew something, I knew nothing. And I'm sure that a year from now, I'm really going to be like, wow, Michael, you really knew nothing, and now you know something. Okay, let me just say in response to that last bit that I feel like, and I have taught resonance now in pedagogy classes for over a decade, okay? Mm-hmm. I am, Or I'm, like, right at the decade mark. Yes. I'm like right at the 10-year mark, okay, of teaching pedagogy classes. I feel like every single time I teach resonance, I learn resonance. Like every single time, even after teaching it for a decade, having published on it, having it be a major part of my dissertation, having it, you know, be something that I've presented workshops regionally, nationally, and internationally on, I feel like every single time I present it in a new way and I present new information and slightly different information and and in a new manner and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting. I, I, one of the things that came out of that thread that I, I did want to mention today, make sure we got in, was the idea that I find in general that I am needing to teach way less anatomy and physiology. It's not, I don't think it's necessary. How do I, you know? Well, and and here's some of it. Because is muscle naming and muscle identification, not that you don't need to know that you have muscles, that muscles are a complex system. Like, for Mm -hmm. example, that the tongue is a complex system. Oh, yeah. And and one of the things that I'm really trying to get in classes now is the idea of how to remap the tongue. Oh, yeah. That blew their mind the other day with that uh, video with the tongue and it's huge. And they were like, that's all my tongue. And, you know, we have this now easily accessible MRI data watching Mm -hmm. people sing and and, and you know this or kind of visible thing. body or, or just visible body as a device watching like some of the muscle action like. that yeah. watching some of the muscle actions of jaw of jaw depression or jaw elevation or or, or rib cage expansion with with mm-hmm. inhalation 
But I find myself needing to teach less and less. But what I really want to start to get to as a model is getting to... I have not had the courage to do it yet, and I, and, I, and I want to, but I'm trying to find the best method from an application standpoint to get to application right away. I really want to have the courage to start a pedagogy sequence with resonance and work the system backwards. Do resonance, then articulation, then phonation, then respiration. That could be really interesting. Cause like the well, it's effectively how Scott organizes his book. Well, and like when we were talking about articulation and we would like somehow like you would just inevitably kind of get to mentioning something about formats or resonance because it all kind of interacts. And they'd be like, what? You've lost me. I'm so confused. Right. And they just shut down. And, but it, and we'd have to say, well... When you learn about formats, this will make sense. But right. like, what if it already made sense? And, right. And well, and the fact is, part of this is is, you know, like we, we joke sometimes about there are the resonance people and the breathing people and the the phonation people, and then there's all those articulator the people. The breath and resonance people. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And so, like, who ignore the larynx? Exactly. Okay. But oh. I think. Sorry. The source! Oh. Sorry, there was a day in class where I was pounding the table going, The source! No one ever talks about the source! But Garcia talks about the source! Anyways. <laughs> it's a good um, day. It was a hilarious day. Um, but I, I say this to say, I think you all, you always, like, absolutely unabashedly are a resonance person in a lot of ways. Well, I'm a resonance first teacher. There's right. no there's and no question and about so it. So I think a huge part of this is this, is that because you are a resonance first teacher, I think you go... If you're because I had this thought earlier regarding the data, but interestingly, ten years ago I wasn't right, and so this is my thought: is like, if this is regarding my dabbler comment, these two thoughts together is this: if people are gonna do this, I think they have to commit to doing this. It can't be an add-on because if you're gonna go with this route, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna talk about formants, I'm gonna talk about these things. I'm going to talk about inertive reactants. Then I'm going to talk about all this other weird crap. And then I'm going to talk about nonlinear. And then I'm all on top of all of that. You know, it's like, and if at the end of the day, like you, your resonance first teacher. So all of this stuff is like necessary language to understand any of the other stuff. Well, I'm I'm also considering switching to to Ken Bozeman's new book, Kinesthetic. I think it's great. Vo uh, why can't I say the to to total? Kinesthetic voice pedagogy. Yeah, is that what it is? KVP. Something like that. Um, I, I, because one of the ways that I'm now really trying to teach resonance as a private studio teacher is just through feed biofeedback and then through ideas, emotional ideas that cause body responses that affect resonance. Yeah. Which is sort of what Ken's, I mean, essentially it's what Ken's book is about. But um, I'm really trying to get to that place as a teacher completely. And I guess my pedagogy class is, in a way, not my acoustics class or the second semester of undergrad ped. That's that's me. But I, I guess I've always felt like I'm trying to break myself from the mold of... Kinesthetic voice pedagogy. That's kinesthetic voice pedagogy, thank you. Um, I'm trying to break myself from the pedagogy mold of you have to teach breath first. Right. Yeah. And I've been evolving to that place, and I have evolved completely at this point out of the model of using any particular teacher's method of any that kind. Says, if this, then this. Yeah, this, then I, this. I have completely evolved out of that to total function, mm -hmm. um, and and I think that is something I'm, I'm enjoying much more 
because I don't have to say, no, well, this is true if you're teaching classically, but not if you're teaching commercially or and whatever. This might work unless your student is this. Right. And we can talk a lot more about learning styles and personality types. And I also think that, that that's becoming a thing that's going to, I think we're going to start to see more and more and more is is the brain and singing and motor learning and singing. I think I think that, that because there's some work that's definitely being done out there on that, um, Lynn Helding and, and, and a bunch of other people, but I think that that is a thing we're going to start to see more and more and more of. Uh, and I'll be interested to see maybe how laryngeal manipulation plays into that mm-hmm. uh, stuff a little bit. Laryngeal manipulation is a great place to teach about anatomy, I think. Like you, I think some of that is necessary. Sure, the student touching themselves in that way, or the the class student touching themselves in that way. Right, exactly. Sure, sure. Right. So I mean, like as far as your dabbler thing, I've been thinking about that in my little corner over here. I honestly kind of would almost I would have always kind of considered myself a dabbler in a sense. Mm -hmm. I read a lot. I know a little bit about a lot of things, and like I can profess that like it's a little bit. But I like that. I like that I know a little about a lot of stuff because that way, when I'm talking to someone, be it a new person I've met, or if it was a student, like it means that I can recognize when somebody presents either this new topic or something arises that like I know just enough about to recognize kind of what's happening, whatever, and then I can go and I can either obsess about it and try to learn more and able to be able to better like connect or interact with that person or just be a friend and be like wow that's really cool but like I don't know I, I, I don't know I think it's important in a sense to know a bunch like I mean I I, I yeah that's interesting and I, I I see where you're coming from and I don't think that that's bad but I think from the, the place that I'm coming from is when people know a little and it, they suddenly think, think they know they're a lot. they think they're an expert well I think that yeah I think that's the the critical that is thing, the thing right? is yeah. is that the, no is that way. doing that having right. the curiosity that you're talking it's, about it's is great. wonderful but it's then thinking that your little bit of curiosity made you an expert at right. something. I know about formats. You know, listen, guys. No, I you know, know, I mean, I, 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 I read an article about the pyramid. Right. I mean, you know, when I started, I'm a you have to understand. I mean, I, I, I try not to sort of present myself as a physicist or anything like that because I am not. But I, but my background to be able to adequately talk about resonance has a long history at this right. point. Yeah. Right. I mean, dating back to me actually being in Don Miller's home in the Netherlands, originally learning Voce Vista over a decade ago. I mean, so it... it but at the same time, I'm not a physicist. Right. I'm not an engineer. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so there are always things that I recognize that I don't know, and I, that's one of the things that I'm just questioning, I guess, in my in my question of... How much do I need to get them to know to be able to teach this stuff adequately? And remembering also that right now, uh, both of you are only at the master's level, not the doctoral yep. level. Right. So l- lots of questions in my own mind. Gosh, this has been this has been like my favorite discussion I think of the semester. Because um, we finally, well, we finally also we finally also got to resonance and and it's wonderful. Uh, Takeaway. Oh, b- by the way, Sarah's breakfast excursions. What did we have for breakfast today? It was Nutella toast. Sarah Nutella toast. It was Nutella on toast. I told you earlier with the waffles, I had Nutella for breakfast this morning. Biscuits are still cookies. Um, okay. No, 
Takeaways. takeaways. Uh, Gatton Matarazzo is fantastic. And you should listen to this great band called Computer Games. If you type in Darren, Chris, and Computer Games, um, that's, that's right, it's that guy from Glee. Great song called Lost Boy's Life. It's fantastic, delicious, uh, ethereal pop music. And Gatton Matarazzo uh, is the star of the music video, and he runs around, and it's really great. So He's not just from Glee, though. Very Potter. Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Very Potter musical, not it. Yeah. He was in. He didn't. He wasn't he in Hedwig for a while? Yeah, he was. But everyone knows him from Glee. I'm speaking to but the normal people. But they should know oh. him because okay. Harry Potter. Takeaways. Uh, people stink. Oh yes. Okay. It's yes. Been, it's been a rough week, um, in in some ways. I would like to just um, I, I as 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 uh, a a bit of a shout out um, because this episode will still air in winter. Um, I would just like to shout out to uh, all of you who might be listening who, like me, struggle with seasonal affective disorder, that you are not alone and that uh, there is help out there, there is hope out there, and vitamin D helps. And know that just acknowledging it will help. Be, be willing to say it to someone you love that you're struggling yeah. with it rather than holding it in just uh, all to yourself uh, because it is a real thing as the days continue to get shorter. Actually, by the time you listen to this, the days should be getting longer. So Yay. so <laughs> that is always a wonderful, wonderful point when we finally actually hit December 22nd and the days start getting longer rather than shorter. Just know that you are loved and that we here uh, support you. Yeah. In fact, uh, okay, these guys have uh, musical auditions this afternoon, so uh, so uh, best of luck to that. Um, maybe Michael needs to vocalize a, a few minutes uh, before that. All right, guys, I hope you all have an awesome week. Ooh.